Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommy's on Anfield Index. I'm Jim Boardman and I'm with Jay Reid. And yeah, after getting all excited because the season was back after all that long wait over summer, it's five minutes later and we've got yet another international break. So there's no football on, but maybe that'll give some time for referees to learn how to play the game and, you know, other things to happen. Maybe maybe the Anfield Road end will get sorted. There's lots of things that could happen in this international break that don't involve international football or at least that's what we're trying to tell ourselves you know just to get through this couple of weeks before um you know before the real fussy comes back but um well before it before it went away we had um game in Europe against USG and a game in England if you like against Brighton and yeah I think it's safe to say that after the after the game with the, the Spurs game that was just complete and utter refereeing incidents hardly worth mentioning much else we had the game in Europe where I don't even know did the referee even bring a card out? He was so quiet. And then the game against Brighton, it's kind of yeah, again, refereeing incidents for us to deal with. And of course, refereeing incidents for other clubs to deal with. And of course, by now, you know, after a week after saying, What are you moaning about to us? You know, laughing at us, calling us all sorts of things, using words you shouldn't use about us and stuff like that. All of a sudden, oh no, these refs are terrible. Like I, I think they live in goldfish tanks or they've got goldfish heads, I'm not sure. Uh, but Jay, um, overall, I think nothing's changed in terms of like we were so angry about the referee and how bad it'd been, and now it's just all gone quiet again because we've realised that short of actually sort of taking siege of the FA, there's not much you can do, is there? They're just they're stuck in the ways; they don't want to change. Yeah, it's like the uh, the old living from like who pleases the police is now like you know they're, they're just gonna do what he wants and. Uh, and then when they come out and try to explain things like Mr. Webb um, did with a with a pint sized Michael Owen and his dad's blazer. Um you know, he he just spouts lies, like blatant lies on TV. Like, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna stick to a story, how would you know, 
make make sure everyone's on board with it. And the statements you put out saying the referee during the Spurs game was aware of the incident of the Lewis Diaz goal being wrongly, you know, awarded as an offside at half time and then stand on national television and then say, Oh yes, the referee wasn't aware until full time. Like, get your story straight, fella. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we we all know your background, we all know what you did before and we all know what you was like as a referee. And you know, lying might just be second nature to you, but you know, in a job that's meant to be known as a professional body um, of match referees, you know, at least try and you know collaborate a story where he's at all on the same page. But obviously, they can't do that either. Um, we we could get down a rabbit hole with referees. I think you know, you mentioned that the, the fellow we had in Europe. Um, and the, the best thing about him was he, he sort of went off unnoticed. He made a couple of odd decisions at times, but, you know, he made them for both teams and, you know, he, he sort of bypassed the game and I don't think that, that there was a yellow card involved or maybe there was one, something like that. And then at the weekend, um, you know, we had Manchester's own Anthony Taylor and to be honest, you, you kind of come out of the game thinking he wasn't that bad. Mm. And if that's the ballpark measure of you're looking for a referee saying he wasn't that bad, you know. Like he he had a penalty instance which he wasn't too sure upon, and then you know, for me, he didn't know what he was given a penalty for. He was probably aware that he had to get a penalty even because it looked like two fouls, one on Zawaz Lion, one on Diaz. But he went short when he was given, and then you know, obviously with the help of whichever clown was on the VAR, so it was a bit, basically says you know it was. It was supposed like it was was pulled back and prevented the goals going on with Jersey. I think then he should have been advised to either go to the screen and see for himself what he's missed because clearly he's missed it because he weren't sure, or be told, look, he's pulled his shirt, goals going on with Jersey, the lad's got a goal. I think it was Pascal Gross uh, who quizzed the offence on was like, you know, he's got a goal and Brighton should be down to ten men. Um, I'm not even sure if if he got booked. For, for that incident, I can't remember, but they weren't you know, looking at it long enough to be looking at whether it was, um, a, you know, a goal scoring opportunity. They didn't, the, the, the time it took for them, because we saw the replays on TV. If you watch the budget back, look at the TVs on replay, t- replays on TV, they just went, Look, have a look. Yeah, he, yeah, he was pulled down. There we go. That's enough angles. We can see he was pulled down. Right, penalty. And then it should have been, Right, so we've worked out it's a penalty now. Was it a red card? Was it a yellow card? Was it neither? And that bit didn't get done. Yeah, and yeah, he didn't get booked for just checked, and he, he, there was no booking for it. So, you know, I know there's this whole like double jeopardy sort of thing, but there isn't anymore. That was... That's the thing. That's, and I thought, yeah, I'm always oh, double jeopardy. Um, you can't get sent off if you if it's a so-called professional foul. But that changed, and and they've clarified it this summer. And the rules basically say if if you were playing for the ball and brought them down. Um, that's not going to be a red, you know. That that would probably be a yellow. I think it says. But if you know, if you're playing for the ball, making a genuine attempt to play the ball, but you miss time it or whatever, that's different. But if you're holding someone back or tripping them up or whatever, without going for the ball, then that's a red. So you just it just leaves you scratching your head, um, you know. When at that at that time in the game, you know, right on half time, we would we would well, we did win two one up, but we could have went in two one up. On a manner, and you know, there's been very few occasions where we've been the side with the the man advantage this season. And okay, we didn't 
we didn't cover ourselves in glory across the whole 90 minutes, but I felt, you know, we created opportunities where we could have done enough to win the game and Brighton would probably feel the same. On the reflection, maybe a draw was the fair result across the whole 90 and, you know, we, we, we gave away some sloppy goals ourselves. But, you know, you would have liked to have seen, you know, the right thing done. Um, yes, a penalty was given, but then send the man off and, you know, let, let's see how we reacted to having the man advantage for once and, that's all. That's all you're asking for. Like we say it every time. You know, you're just asking for a base level of consistency, and the consistently inconsistent. And you know, we'll bang the bang the drum and bang your head against the wall until you know you're blue in the face. But while referees are let responsible for VAR and influenced by decisions or mistakes they've made in the previous week or the previous you know game if games are played on a Sunday and a, a big instance happened on the Saturday or whatever you know that the they're not impartial in, in what they're doing at decisions and you've got to find a way to make it as level playing field as possible because as we saw on Sunday with the, with the Kovacic situation and Howard Webb even come out and said well Kovacic's first challenge should have been a red therefore you know, the second challenge was definitely a yellow. But Michael Oliver, you know, was trying to do the right thing and keep 11 men on the field. Well, it doesn't matter what Michael Oliver was you know, trying to do. You know, he's there to enforce the rules of the game. Literally a week earlier, we seen a fella of Liverpool called Curtis Jones make a challenge that resulted in, you know, going over the top of the ball and his foot being planted onto someone else's and the context of that was taken, we'll have a look at the still image and yeah, straight away violent conduct and he's got a free match ban which is being upheld and stuff. But, you know, Simon Hooper weren't trying to, you know, keep a fair balance of 11 men on the field at that point and like, that's, that's, that's what stinks. Yeah. Because from week to week, there's always someone feeling aggrieved and as you said at the beginning, you know, last week it was Liverpool whinging and crying and, you know, he, you get the the shouts from like uh, Brighton fans saying we want a replay when the penalties are awarded against them, like looking like we're the winning ones. And now all of a sudden you fast forward at eight days time, and Arsenal fans are now saying the same. And all of a sudden like, ah, oh, well now we get all roundabouts. Now you understand what we were saying last week. Now you understand that it's not just whinging Liverpool fans saying, oh yeah, well we're hard done to. You know, it's gonna happen to other teams. And it's going to probably need to happen to other teams for a possibility of change. I said this, I think it was last week when we recorded the one yeah. after the Spurs game. It's going to have to happen and have big effects on other teams and other managements, other managers and fans and whatever and so forth to all collectively come together and say, you know what, this stinks because it's so bad. And maybe then, just maybe, we might see some change. Yeah, and they've got the role that they've got the rules sewn up and the laws sewn up and the regulations sewn up in such a way that um, if a referee screws up, no matter how bad it is, nothing can change. And I don't even think I'm not saying this is this has happened, but the way that the, the regulations are written, if it turned out that a referee had been, you know, all, all the conspiracy theories that a referee had been taking money from someone to throw a game a certain to, to help a game get thrown in a certain direction or wherever, and it was found out, and maybe it was found out really quickly that there's still nothing in the rules to get anything changed. The ref, yeah, by all means, would get into trouble and be able to ref a game, probably get into, you know, sit, you know, legal action, all the rest of it, um, 
criminal action, all, all of that, all that could come into play. But none of it would actually make a difference to what happened on the pitch because they've got it so sewn up that the referee is always right, even when he's clearly wrong. It's just, it's just all, you know, it's just sort of hard coded in. And they've hidden behind this stuff that um, the IFAB who set the rules for the game, set the laws of the game, have said that you can't restart after you've already restarted when it's been a VAR decision. Um, and I, I said last time as well, I mean, sitting there patting yourself on the back because you followed some rule to the letter that, you know, in, in, the, in the way a traffic warden, as you put it the other week, the way a traffic warden would do something, that's, you know, don't pat yourself on the back for that because you messed up. And then don't come out a week later and claim, remember, claim that a referee sort of used a bit of leeway then and let a player not get sent off because he wanted it to keep to 11. And um, Webb, as far as I know, and I've not seen this interview that he's done in full, I've just seen some of the quotes from it and perhaps as well I don't watch it because I'd probably get more and more annoyed with him. But um, the, the way he's talking is that you, you do, it's one reel for one, one reel for another and there was no mention of that incident with us getting a player sent off after seeing a still image. Not one bit of a mention. And now, I don't know what grounds Liverpool used to appeal it, but according to why, you know, when you get the sort of um, sources sort of explaining what they think's going on. So the, the implication was that Liverpool had said that the way um, the way the VAR had, sh- had shown the image or the way the referee had seen the image from on the screen was wrong, was against the rules, was not supposed to be what happens. And so they could get a replay. Now, I don't know what the FA's decision was or the independent panel, if it was one, what their decision was. I imagine it'll be, yeah, all that's true. Yeah, he shouldn't have done that. Yeah, it's all totally wrong. But the referee can't change, you know, the referee's made his decision. Um, even though he had VAR to help me, he still made a decision um, and he won't be changed. And I wish Liverpool had kind of appealed it, even though there's a risk then you could get a longer ban or something. I wish we'd appealed it just so that the whole written reasons would have to come out because I would have loved to have seen that in black and white released to the public what the what the reasoning was behind it because these so-called independent panels don't really act that independently in my view a lot of the time because I'm getting them I'm, getting the, I'm guessing it but I get to get a fur they must get a fur wedge off the FA when they're called in to spend three days looking into some sort of um, incident in football and although they you know they do sometimes rule against the FA I bet. I mean, I mean, people have written reports on it before. It's probably something like eighty percent, if you're lucky, that actually um, always go the FA's way. The other twenty percent maybe get get somewhere. I bet it's not even as much as twenty percent, because you know, if you're if you're in that role, and I'm not having to go with all of them, but if you're in that role and you're getting paid, you kind of like you want to keep the gig, don't you? So I could just, you know, who who appoints them? Still, the FA appoints these so-called independent people, and. The other thing again with this old Howard Webb thing is it's just him marking his own homework. And as you say, um, I mean, someone needs to tell him that if even though South Yorkshire Police think it's okay to go around changing statements and deleting things and getting people to cross things out and hide things and burn things or whatever else they want to do, you know, if he thinks all of these underhand, disgusting things are fine in that part of of the, of the world, then they're not in football and, and the world's changed. You know, people are under much more scrutiny. And if you're going to lie... There's not this thing now where the media will just sort of say, um, oh, yeah, well, a policeman said it, it must be true. They're not going to say, oh, a referee said it, it must be true. You, you just on what you like. And for me, the stuff he's come out with this week, just the clips I've seen, it, it doesn't answer the questions we've asked. He's ignoring some of the things we've asked. I don't know who asked him the questions because I, I don't know if me and you were on asking him questions. He'd have got like, asked a lot more stuff. It just feels like it's just the same stuff again. Where is this call now for an independent 
panel, if you like, an independent person sitting over the referees deciding what they've done wrong to punish them and all the rest of it. There isn't one. Howard Webb's got this gig. Um, he used to do the same thing, I believe, in uh, MLS. So, um, you know, it's obviously a decent bit of money for him and he wants to protect his place. But who's his boss? That's the problem I'm sort of thinking of here. Who's his boss? Well, because no one seems to be coming out and saying, hang on, Howard. You said X and then you said Y and now you're saying Z and none of these things add up. Look, no one says it and he just gets away with it. And the thing is, if you know, we've we seen if players or managers even speak out about it, they get fined. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the Zerby, um was booked at the weekend for, you know, a, a penalty claim, which, you know, I suppose if the shoe's on the other foot and you see the instant where the ball strikes Van Dyke's fine and it's his arm, which is, it's not an unnatural position, it's next to his body. Like, yeah. You know, he's sort of in a stance where if your arm was glued to your side, you'd be doing a very unnatural stance. Um, but obviously, you know, a situation where the ball strikes a hand in the penalty box, uh, a home team especially would, would all appeal the ground and the whatever. And does he have a right to be incensed at that moment? But his emotions got the best of him when he was booked and whatever. Um, and that that that's the story. But if he come out and then he spoke out of turn, he would then be subsequently fined, you know, emotionally displaying what what he thought was was right in his eyes, but was obviously wrong in in the eyes of, of Mr. Taylor, who was the referee on the day. Yeah. But, you know, we've we seen an incident where McAllister was, was threatened to be banned because he, you know, he puts it on the social media. The players have been silenced and, you know, they're, they're entitled to, to say their opinion at the end of the day. I think, like, you know, as long as it's within, you know, fair and legal means and they're not going on, you know, social media or they're going on, you know, TV interviews, effing and blinding and, you know, make, making a, a sort of a disgrace of themselves and, and, and colourful language that could be used, you know, of the, you know, same things that, you know, it's probably been saying, said by thousands, if not millions of others around the world, you know, especially in the case like what McCall said, it feels like we're playing against 12 men. Mm. You know, it, it, it it's a common saying, like, it's not out of term, whatever, like, maybe it has to be like, Mm. You know, Alexis, those things we can't really say, but you know, be be sort of conscious and or say it, and maybe just keep it to yourself, sort of thing. Because you know, you know what these guys are like. But yeah, like Howard Webb marking his home homework, as you say it, it's it's an outrage, and the fact that this this is the second time I think, maybe the third time that they've done this sort of spin off show. Where you know he he comes out and explains the audio or whatever and selected sorts of clips and decisions uh, are chosen and you'd imagine Michael Owen is loaded with questions from the producers into his ear as to say like well ask this Michael well you know what I mean and Howard already knows the answer to it because he's already been given the script for the show um, I did see a a tweet from someone um, today where it was like why don't why don't DFA and the PGM are well put all the audio available on like a website from all games on yeah. a Monday morning, put them all out there and then, you know, Howard, you know, I'm sure he's paid a nice amount of money for what he's doing, you know, can, can get his backside down to, to Sky Studios, you know, on a Monday night and he can sit there 
and and be questioned on certain things that have happened over the weekend, not, you know, picking and choosing select incidents because they might be easier to discuss than others and loaded questions are there for them. How about, you know, you don't give them all this time to sit and stew on things and, and come up with, you know, whatever excuses they want to, because even when you do come up with excuses, they're lies anyway, and the and the to misconceive from what they actually said a week ago. So try and try and have a little bit more clarity and then, you know, the fans might actually start to, you know, accept some things that, that are put out there because while there's so much secrecy, it just leads to so much conspiracy. Yeah, the, and he's in a well-paid role, and the reason he's in a well-paid role is because football makes loads of money, and the reason football makes loads of money is because people pay lots of money to go to games, to buy kits, to go and watch it on TV, and all the TV rights money and everything. So it, it's a game that's played in front of media all the time, and someone was saying to me, he's sort of got more referee knowledge than I have, that apparently the IFAB, the people who set the laws of the game, the, are the main reason we can't listen to the audio live. But as far as I know, there's nothing stopping them releasing it. And it's not a lot of space. It's really easy to get something set up. So it's uploaded to some uh, cloud storage somewhere on AWS or Microsoft Azure or anything like that to set a little tiny, really simplistic website up. I mean, I'll do it for them if they're, that, if they're really struggling. But, you know, it's a really th- easy thing for them to do and make it available. And then, like you say, Monday, if he wants to get Asked a, if he gets asked a question about something, then you can say, right, let, now let's listen to the audio. Well, Howard, you said this, but that audio says something else. Also, we've had all weekend between us. Or, you know, maybe you should come out within, say, two hours of the end of the game. Because um, unless there's something wrong in there, then that should be the case. As someone said to me as well, if they knew that their audio was being played back all the time, they wouldn't sound as unprofessional as they did on that Liverpool match when... It was all like nicknames and mates and all this lot and swearing and stuff like that. If they knew that was going out, they'd have to act differently. And I think having to act differently would make them concentrate more and they wouldn't be as, you know, carried away by thinking about the stag goofer refs they'd just been on a few days before. But the audio just sort of holds them to account, doesn't it? That's all That's all that that does. And also it gives us the chance that we said it and said it and said it. If they just explain why they'd done something after a game, doesn't mean we'll agree with it. Doesn't mean we'll get away from this thing where we think things are being inconsistent. But at least then we'll know what the reasons why were why they did stuff. And then, you know, maybe one of these weeks Howard Webb goes in and gets asked a question where they say, you know, in this game this was said, in this game this was said, but in this game this was said. What what is really the difference? What is going on? Why is this keeping happening? And how are you going to stop it? Because. I mean, even Klopp said they're still human beings. They didn't, deli- you know, they don't deliberately make mistakes. He's kept saying that, um, but mistakes are made, and you just want to know why, and you want to avoid the mistakes being made. You know, it's like, you know, there's a reason trains have um, systems whereby if the train driver doesn't touch certain things for a certain amount of time, the train will stop gracefully. Um, you know, dead man's handle was the first version of things like that. So if there's an issue, it'll fail in a safe way, and um, I mean, in football, if there's an issue, I still can't believe it's taken this long to just do more than say check complete. But again, I, I would love it if we had a week where we sort of hardly mentioned the ref. Um, that would be good, but it feels like that's not going to happen. But the Brighton game itself, other than that, I would say wasn't full of incident. Our game, it was that one incident, that one incident that could have made a difference. But um, I mean, to be fair, Klopp, 
himself hadn't realised that it could have been a professional foul, but um, he did ask the journalists in the room whether they thought it was a goal-scoring opportunity. Um, I don't think he'd clicked on the change of the rules, like the refs obviously hadn't. But it feels like you know we, we started slow, and we didn't even react the way we have done. So we had that little run of 3-1 wins where we'd gone behind in about three of the four, I think, and we reacted to going behind in style basically you know we started pushing for a goal pushing for an equaliser and then pushing on from the equaliser and, and making absolutely sure of it I felt like we did well in most of those 3-1 games I can't remember being that bothered you know that frightened by anything you know minor minor things if anything but I thought against Brighton it was like even even at two down it felt like it was taking us ages to just look bothered look like we had any ideas and I don't know it's the first time I've seen us do that this season really I think and it I don't know, yeah, am, am I right to be worried or is it just one of those things because Brighton aren't a bad team, you know, and maybe it's easy to sort of forget that, that, you know, there's a reason why they're up high up the league table now and maybe, you know, maybe it's time we accepted that they're not going to be an easy team, but it still felt like, I don't know, if we were playing Man City, we wouldn't have been that complacent. Yeah, I think in regards to Brighton, that, you know, the week earlier they went, they went to Ville and got tonked. Yeah, it was 6 1, wasn't it? Um, and then they had a midweek away trip to Marseille and, you know, with all due credit to them, came from 2-0 down to salvage a 2-2 draw. But yeah. it's their first sort of exploits in Europe and, you know, we're more accustomed as a team to, to play in, you know, European football weekend in the league, whatever. And you did feel as though it was an opportunity there where they'd been rattled away to Villa and then, you know, a, a tough game midweek where I think even... If you look back at our game as Union St. Joao, where we were we were sort of laboured and sort of pottering around in second gear. Yeah. Um and our quality was was creating enough chances we just weren't putting them away. Um obviously we, we did on the night we, we ended up running out two 0 and it probably should have been more arguably, but with Brighton it felt like again we were just laboured around in second gear and I think also, you know, Given suspensions and injuries, so obviously without jo- without Jones, without Jossa, without Gapo, yeah, um, you know, we that was the first time we didn't have the the options on the bench in terms of an attacking force to change things. Um, you know, young Harvey Elliott started, and you know, without delving into too much of a rabbit hole, there, I don't think he's he's probably ever at this time going to be strong enough to feature where we need them in midfield, where we've seen the change with Gravenberg second half, a bit more a bit more physicality, a bit more mobility, and we we looked a bit more balanced in terms of what we were offering in the midfield because the first half was basically, you know, Alexis was getting getting ran over. Um but we didn't really have any options on the bench other than young Ben Dork and, you know, to look at a lad of seventeen years of age and say go on there and, and try and win us this game. It's it's sort of, you know, clutching at straws. And I felt like we we sort of ran flat of ideas and obviously missing Jones in midfield um, and the good starts he's had. It did sort of leave us a little bit light wasted. The question I think to be asked is is what was the situation with Endo, who who played forty five on Thursday and then was taken off and sort of mm. The mindset of people was well, maybe he's getting the start of the weekend because we're missing Jones, and maybe we'll, you know, see a reshuffle where Alexis will go into a more natural 
eight roll, um, and we didn't see him at all, which was was very surprising. Um, does make you wonder what what is going on there um, in a in a game where we were very open in midfield and we probably needed someone with defensive nous and capabilities. We sort of left him sat on the bench, but we we sort of bumbled our way through and it it was a slight concern in the fact that we didn't seem to have many other options up our sleeve. Um, you know, like we we were obviously most teams are gonna lose players through injury and suspension throughout the season, but we've we've only lost a small few and we did seem devoid of ideas. Um but then at the same time, yes, you've got to give credit to Brighton who are a decent team and I suppose if you looked at the fixture list um, at the beginning of the season, you know, and said, you know, you're going to go away to Chelsea, away to Newcastle, away to Spurs, away to Brighton. Um, no, we probably feel hard done by that. We've only come away with five points from them games, um, especially given the form of Chelsea at the moment and what happened in the Spurs game. But you probably would have said, you know what, we'll, we'll take a win and a couple of draws um, because they're by no means easy fixtures, you know, that. The teams themselves, you, you would imagine those four teams would be in contention for, you know, top seven finishes towards the end of the season, maybe top eight finishes. Um, so compared to our record last season on the road, you know, it's probably a marked improvement if you put the results next to each other. So yeah, it's it's not that bad at the end of the day. And compared to other team starts, which I've sat another look at over the last few days, you know, we, we've had a real tough start. Um, this season, five away games um, of of those four I mentioned, and, and then a trip to Wolves, which you know is no gimme. Um, just ask Man City that. Um, you know it, it's it's not been an easy start, and, and the points total that we sit on, we probably do feel slightly aggrieved that we should have one or two more on the board. But you know, compared to the the so called rivals we were up against this season, and um, we've had much more generous starts. I don't think. You know, at the, the eight game stage, you can probably feel too, too disheartened when you look at the whole bigger picture of things. No, and I think um, what we've what we found now with this season as well is that Man City are invincible, and I think that that thing is that you know for the last few seasons there's almost been that thing that Man City are invincible. You can't beat them. You can't get a point off them. And I'm not talking about us playing them because you know you, you look after yourself, and I think. Generally speaking, when we've played Man City, we've not every game, but quite often we've really made a good show of ourselves and we've either took, took the points or been some very, very close run, not quite over the goal line situation, away from taking points from them and things. So, um, you know, we've kind of generally speaking, when we've had a good season, we've done our bit against them. But it's the other teams that need to do the bit against them and not to be frightened of them. Um, I can remember it being the thing with Manchester United for years and years and years you'd see teams go out against them and just literally sit back and wait to be beaten, almost as if they're thinking it was a result to only lose 3-0. If we can keep it down to 3-0, um, you know, sort of Brendan Rodgers' attitude against Real Madrid sort of thing. And every so often the team would go, nah, now, nah, listen, they're not invincible. Let's go and see what we can do against them. And, and you'd give them a fright. And sometimes they'd drop points, sometimes they wouldn't, but you'd give them a fright and you'd show they're not invincible. And, you know, I think that's something we have to take from this season is that City have definitely got holes in their armour they're still you know they've got people missing and things as well I get that but they've got so much more money to make sure that when people are missing they've got nice paper to go over the cracks with um, we you know as you say bare bones and 
Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. I can't help but wonder is, the way we've played McAllister this way all season is, was that the plan? Because it feels to me as though every it happens so often with managers, they get a player from another club that's been played in a position and they bring them in and they've actually got a vision of them playing in a different position for them. And um, I mean, Ray Kennedy years and years and years ago left Arsenal, came to Liverpool, went from being a striker to being one of the best wingers in the game. Um, at a time when football was sort of 4-4-2 most of the time, it was you know a different role. We've done it with other players. You've seen it, other players go in other places and do it. And I'm wondering if that's what the idea was here, that we thought, right, well, he's got all this good stuff that we know we can do, but we reckon there's more to him. I think it's a good idea to try these things. There's no harm in trying things, but you can't help but think that there's got to come a time when you say, right, well, we tried it and it's not worked yet. So maybe we'll either park it for good, just park it for a few months or a few weeks. Maybe we'll just we'll just try it now and again. I mean, if if, if the day we tried moving Trent in the midfield had gone really, really badly the first time we tried it, then you can guarantee we probably wouldn't have seen that again. And even that was something we talked about. Was it a good idea? Was it not? And, and maybe maybe that's part of the problem with McAllister, that we expected Trent to be a sort of more around the midfield as well, to have a bit of extra cover there, but that doesn't work because then you've got different, you know, your defence is playing differently. But it just feels to me that it's kind of either... We did really want someone who could play in that role and, you know, be in front of the defence and be our, if you like, replacement for the best Fabinho that we had um, and we didn't get one. Or there's been a conscious decision to say, now we can use him, he'll do it, he'll be, he'll do it for us. But then, like you say, that's just one player and if he's not working out or if he's the one suspended or he's the one injured, someone else is going to have to fill in. And I just don't get why Endo sat on the bench, as you say. That... It's also, you know, it reminds you a little bit of the Wijnaldum thing. Obviously, Wijnaldum, when we first got him from Newcastle, was an attacker midfielder, occasional winger, and then we converted him into this, you know, unique midfielder who could play anywhere across our midfield three. Um, but then when, when when he went back to the Dutch team, which we can come back to in a bit, um, you know, he did play a more attacking role, and you think, well, where's this genie that we don't see in a red shirt? Where he, you know, he goes and gets goals on a regular basis, but people didn't appreciate what Wijnaldum was for us until he left. And uh, those couple of years when we were without Wijnaldum until we are where we are now, you know, we the, the gaps in our midfield of what he brought to us as a team was there for everyone to see, and I think maybe you know his ability on the ball is something that maybe. You, you might think the coaching team and Klopp have seen an Alexis who is, you know, very technically gifted on the ball and able to do, you know, quite a lot of the things that Wijnaldum was able to do on the ball. He might not be as physically strong, you know, built 
as Wijnaldum, but then it also does smack a bit of we've we've cut a corner and you're kind of getting a fella in, you know, where you you think you know you, you need a job doing around the house, you know, you might need some some work doing in the bathroom, you know, some tiles sort of putting down. You think, ah, my dad's mate used to be, you know, a bit of a handyman and he, he used to be able to do a little bit of this and that around the house and he goes, yeah, yeah, we'll get him in. You know, he done some tiles in his own house. You know, we they look all right. And you get him in, and then you know the the tiles he fits for you, and a bit like, yeah, they're not right. You know, but the, I can see that one's ever so slightly off center, and that one, you know, the grout on that one's ever slightly thicker than the one on this one. And you know, it's it's not quite the finished perfect article, but it's passable. Yeah. But then you know, your missus comes in the room and goes, I should tell you what. We should have got a professional in for that, you know, someone who knows what they were doing, and and then you know, in, in in twelve months' time, she ends up ripping the tiles off the wall, and you're paying over the odds to get a proper tiler, and then you think, you know what, we should have just done that all along, and it kind of smacked like that with the with the defensive midfielder. Like we we knew we needed one, you know, we know what a defensive midfielder can entail in terms of don't have to be the best person on the ball, but you have to be the best person that winning you the ball, and if you don't win the ball and you have the ball in your possession. Then you're not going to win a game, so we need to probably go out there and just find that player who is so good at winning the ball back and giving it to the other players who can do it. You know, I think mm. Klopp uses the the uh, the the quote of, you know, you, you need certain players to carry the piano and a few players to play it. You know, when we we probably just need a few players who can you know carry the piano in terms of getting that ball back for us and giving it to the lads who we've got in the team with the ability and the feet to play it. And, you know, whether we get that person in January, whether we get that person next summer, or whether we just don't get that person at all, and whether, you know, these people who in coaching positions, such as Jürgen and, and whoever, are paid a hell of a lot more money than me, you, me and you who speak on the podcast, can actually think of something outside of the box and recreate, you know, the way a midfield can function. You don't need a ball winner type, and you can just have all progressive players. And, and we don't want to win the league and everyone will say, you know what, genius. But it does feel as though there's certain moments and certain games when you just need a person there just to do the dirty work. And we all thought maybe Endo was a cheap option of that, you know, given the profile of player that he was told to us. Mm. You know, a lad who can go out there and win the ball. And in a game when we really needed the ball winning back, he sat on the bench. It was... It was an odd decision, and it does make you wonder as as to what is going on. Um, but yeah, as we say, we we can stand and speculate for as much as we want. But whatever goes on in the mind walls of of Anfield and and Kirby, then you know that's what they're paid the big bucks for to figure this out. And we unfortunately can only voice our opinions on on platforms like this and and hope that other people are nodding along with us and thinking, yeah, you know what. Let's hope that someone out there is maybe listening and, and changes an opinion on what we're saying. Um, because it's that obvious. Why is it not happening? Is the is the question you're always having to yourself. Yeah, and I think you know we've we, we've gone on and about refs saying release the audio, release the audio, let us hear the audio all the way through the game. Don't don't keep holding on to it. Imagine if we could have the audio of um, the stuff Klopp says on the bench and um, stuff that gets said in the dressing room and on the training ground. I mean, obviously it take a long time to cut all the expletives out. I'm sure, but. Um, we, we'd have an idea what's going on. And the thing is, they're never going to release the audio, thankfully. Um, even if it does occasionally go in a book that everyone thinks gives away all our secrets. And 
I was just thinking as you were talking then that in a lot of ways, if I rewind to the summer, we wanted, we said we wanted defenders and we didn't get them. And we said we wanted a defensive midfielder and we didn't get that. But we were, well, we weren't expecting to lose two of the midfielders we had, but we did. And we're, we're fairly happy with the midfielders that came in. And I've not really got a complaint about the players that came in. It's just whether we've got enough of the players we needed overall. But I think at that point, if someone had said like, well, we're having a massive reset here. We're having, you know, we have not been able to just gradually blend into the next version of Liverpool. So, you know, Klopp's Liverpool 2.0 is quite a sort of big sort of reset. You know, there's a lot of changes going to happen at once and there's still stunts to be done, but this is phase one of it. So this season is going to be a bit of a transitional one. You know, expect things to be not quite right until Christmas. I kind of wouldn't have been surprised if someone had said to me, that's the case, you know, we're working on it. The most have done in a January window and even if this season doesn't end up great we'll be we will be doing all right we'll do better than we did last season and we'll be totally ready for the following season i'd have been quite happy with that i think but in a way we may have been the victims of our own success because we've hit the ground running this season so well we've done so well in so many games i mean that chelsea game we were looking back on it thinking how the hell did we only get a draw when we see how badly they've done and how well we've done referees mess things up against spurs um Brighton may be a bit of a bogey team for us. So on the whole, we've done pretty well. So maybe, I don't know, maybe we've sort of been a little bit too judgmental. I'm not sure. Um, are we in a transitional season? That's what I'm thinking to myself. And part of that, I suppose, is maybe Endo wasn't ready for that game in Klopp's sides. I don't know. Maybe he was carrying a fitness uh, a fitness issue. And again, if we had the audio from all the stuff that went on, we'd know, wouldn't we? But um, he didn't. But I was quite... Um, Grabenberch feels like he's a... I can't make my mind up whether... Um, is he falling into the category of a player that we're just sort of easing in? Because I feel like he's got a lot to offer and he's still a bit a bit raw in terms of playing for us and knowing what, what we want from him. But, you know, we've raved on about Dominic and we've raved on about McAllister at times, um, although we, we haven't done as much because he's played kind of out of position. And I would say with McAllister as well, the longer he does that, the more his confidence is going to be shot. So I hope we do do sort something out with that or at least I hope he knows what the plan is but I thought Gravenberg there's, there's a player there and I don't know I think Curtis Jones could be fighting for his place when he by the time his suspension's over you know I don't think Curtis can say to himself he's just going to walk back into the team now and I think if he hadn't been suspended I thought it would have been hard to push him out but again Gravenberg needs the games and we've got the gap now um, at least he's got plenty of time to train is that a player do you think that we um, I don't know. Are we keeping a bit of a secret there and he's going to be unleashed soon? And, um, yeah, yeah and no. I think, you know, people around the football world know talents of Brian Grabberg yeah. and I think he's, is he 21 years of age? Um, yeah. He's, he's still a boy, isn't he, really, in, in football terms. Um, you know, the, 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 there's players out there who are still big hard. There's talents coming through the game and they're like 24, 25 years of age. Um you know, makes us makes you and I sound really old here the way we're discussing this. Um, <laughs> but he, he's obviously got talents. He's come through obviously the Ajax Academy and he, he got a boost to Bayern Munich. And, and maybe it was just the wrong move at the wrong time, you know, the wrong environments. And, you know, Ajax is a big club in Holland, but Bayern Munich is a worldwide giant. You know what I mean? You, you, you're going, he, he might have been able. Might have been better off, sorry, say, of going, you know, somewhere like the the Leipzig, you know, 
Dortmund sort of level in Germany. You know, the 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 very big club, but they're not the giants. And you know, sort of cutting his teeth in Bundesliga there. And I do feel as though had he have moved, you know, Leverkusen or some, someone of that like level who who aren't the the monster that Bayern Munich is, he, he probably would still be playing in Bundesliga and doing very well. But it may have just all been a little bit too much too soon for the twenty year old kid um, going to Munich and. You know, that's not saying that we are a worldwide giant, but you know, there's there's options in our team to sort of come through and at a slower pace. And you know, and as much as the pressure at Liverpool, you know, Liverpool fans want Liverpool to win the league and win the Champions League or whatever competition we enter every single year. Um, but the reality is, you know, we're we're up against teams that are owned by countries we're up against you know teams that are you know pumping money in through mad sources and maybe not being the the most clear in you know how their revenues are generated and whatever um and as much as we would like to win the league every season if we don't win the league it's not a disaster um you know it's it's still a failure in some people's eyes but you know we haven't won the league more, well, we won the league once up. We had 31, 32 years or something like that. So, okay, we've picked up the trophies along the way, but it's not a case for, for sacking the manager if we don't win the league in the season. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, he's got the time to be able to develop as a player and as a person at Liverpool. And, you know, the, the type of culture that Liverpool operates under and, you know, the type of fans that we are, we will allow that to happen you know we, as long as a player as we've always said is willing to show that they're going to try and put the effort in and you know ability is there you know they, they'll be allowed you know the time to develop and and show what they can do in a red shirt and we've only seen small glimpses of him um, he was very good in the Europa League game for me especially the first half last weekend I did think that would have then meant he was going to get the stars of the weekend you have come off on about 70 odd minutes you kind of damp forth. Maybe this kid is going to start in, in the place of Casas Jones because that has been our, you know, go-to midfield free. Uh-huh. Um, and it was a bit of a surprise that Elliot got the nod, and you know, maybe in hindsight, looking back and at halftime, he made the change and brought on. He did look a little bit sharper. Um, you know, going forward, when to return um, after the international break, we've got the derby, um, closely followed by a Europa League game at home to Toulouse, then closely followed by. Another league game at home in Asking Forest. So, of the two league games, Curtis is still suspended because it obviously applies to domestic games. So, there's yeah. an opportunity there where Gravenberg could start the derby and could start against Forest, in essence. Um, and then Curtis could get the Europa League game. And then we've got a Carabao Cup game following Forest away at Bournemouth. Um, and then we're away to Luton in the league the following weekend. So, you know, he could put a marker down for the starting berth, but you know, there's also the squad rotation option where the two midweek games in the Europa League and the Carabao Cup, you could be starting Curtis Jones, and the two league games, you can be starting Graven Birch, and you can allow the freshness and rotation. And this was something I touched on earlier on the season where. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. 
we don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Europa League isn't the, the glitz and glamour of the Champions League and you should be able to get through the group by playing a rotated squad, therefore allowing you to, to field your, your nominal strongest level in the league at the weekend. And yeah. it worked for Arsenal last year and they got themselves a, a healthy lead um, going into the turn of the year, albeit they, they panicked and didn't know what to do when they had a lead and they fell apart. I don't think if that was the same situation for us in Liverpool, got to the turn of the year and had a lead, I don't think we'd panic so much as Arsenal. That's not saying we're going to win the league this year, but you know the potential is there for us to, to play rotated teams and keep our best players fresh and available for the league. And if that then means, you know, once Jones is back and we've got a full bill of health maybe across more of the squad, that Gavin Birch and Jones are competing for one shirt. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a good thing because both are good players and they can both offer different things. And that's what you want in football. You want healthy competition of good players. Um, You know, you don't really want players who who aren't good enough, but they're just there and you you can't feel as though you can tear to them. Um, and it is a potential opportunity for us this season to, to progress and allowing Gavin Birch to come in. I think we paid £35 million or something like that. It's our sweet spot. It's where we operate. And I'm sure we'll probably go out and strengthen again in January and in the summer. Um, there's actually reports breaking as we've recorded this, that Tim Vickery, who is the um, deemed football knowledge person in, in South America, he, he put a few, you know, contentious quotes out after the Spurs game, given he's a Spurs fan. Um, but he's based in Brazil and is of knowledge of South American football, is saying that Andre Fluminense is is going to join after the Copa Libertadores final, which... Um, they faced Boca Juniors in I think it's the end of November time in January which was a player we we looked at in the summer and you know I don't think it's gone away and if that's the case I don't know anything about him um, but I do know he's a midfielder and if he's a defensive midfielder as that then maybe that's what we've you know kept our part of the drive for that we couldn't get him in the summer and you mentioned the stopgap with um, Alexis McAllister filling and maybe this lad is the is the one that we're seeing and we just couldn't get him out of Brazil in the summer because Fluminense wants to keep him for the Copa Libertadores and yeah. as they've reached the final if they can win that uh, they'll go on and play in the Club World Cup which for South American teams it's a prestigious a prestigious tournament where obviously Man City we represent in Europe um, and you know, it'll be their first place of this cherry. I'd imagine the city hierarchy want to win it to call themselves world champions, but you know, 
the, the South American teams more than anything um, value this tournament higher than anyone else. But yeah, if he is the guy who we, we've earmarked and he's the defensive type, then then we'll wait and see if that if that is the case. But yeah. if it's another young midfielder we add to the ranks, then I'm, I don't think it's too bad a thing that we can do. I remember reading about him actually in the summer that we um, we were going to miss out on him basically because they done so well in the tournament and um, they're going to want to hang on to him. And that's some, you know, and it's easy to forget that if some parts of the world this season doesn't run the same time as our season, and you know where we're just getting going, they're still they're just hitting the uh, intense part of the season and stuff. So that would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? If someone like like him was coming in and um, or even someone that's totally off the radar, that's that's similar kind of circumstance maybe I don't know we'll we'll find out um I thought it was I mean we're not doing much about international football because we're not exactly mad fans of international football but I thought it was um interesting funny petty even the way that the Dutch national team spoke about Ryan Gravenberch as well just briefly I mean they've got loads of injuries Gapo included but um De Jong um is another one there's there's various plays not around um the under-21s are shorter players. They've got a couple missing. The senior team shorter players. So, you know, it would have been a good chance to give Ryan a chance to go in over on the, you know, go over and sort of at least be around, you know, maybe not get in the game if not needed, but at least being an extra an extra body in training, an extra body on the bench. But now um, the other 21 coach said that um, it was not an option to call him up now. The signal has now been sent to him. You know, sounds quite snotty about... Um, about the player basically saying, look, I'm going to miss this international break because I've just joined a new club. I need to get a house sorted. I need to get a car sorted. I need to meet everyone. I need to get myself, myself settled in. I had a, a shit time last season. I hardly got a game. And I want to really make a good impression here, get myself going. And their attitude is now, I mean, um, what else has been said? Kuman has said, we've a certain opinion about players who walked out of our senior and junior teams. Um, and then he said, moreover, he's not played much at Liverpool yet. And he goes on about, um, hoping he'll develop further and he's a great talent if he plays a lot at his club he's always an option for the Dutch team and how you know they won't write him off on all this stuff but the 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 thing that got me was when he said he's not played at Liverpool much yet anyway I mean he, he hasn't played much at Liverpool yet but he was hardly playing at all before he joined Liverpool yet they signed you know they called him up for the last squad after seeing him play even less so it's again I don't know if Howard Webb's books um, being used by a lot of people, you know, in how to say the same, how to contradict yourself in different ways. But that's what it feels like with that, anyway, to me. Um, and it's times like this as well. I think it reminds me of how glad I am that we've got Jurgen Klopp. I mean, I know we've had times when we've worried and things maybe aren't working out, and um, maybe we've not won as much as we would have liked. And I get, you know, there's these extremes of fans who who are happy just to watch us play well and. And the other extreme, we want us to win every single thing, every single day. And if anything less than that should be, you know, resulting in sacking everybody. But I'm pretty pleased with Klopp. But I've actually not... Well, you sort of do know, but it's hard to think that the international break that we're in now, but the equivalent of this in 2015, eight years ago, that's when Klopp joined us. And it's flown. And although we've had some downs, we've had a lot of ups. And, I mean, I think the song... um, the Jurgen Klopp song that we've got kind of sums it up. Um, I was lucky enough to be there on the day that he joined. I was there the day that Brendan Rodgers became manager and I was there the day that Klopp became manager and both things happened when it was sort of quiet. I think one I think one was in the summer, one was in the um, in the international break, but the amount of people who turned up to see Klopp 
clearly big news clearly we'd sort of gone we'd gone in the light in the right sort of catalog you know the right manager's catalog to pick someone and on that first press conference i remember him saying that he was going to win us something within whatever it was three years and he went i mean i thought that god that is such a bold statement and thinking maybe when he said i'm going to win a title he was that sort of you know when we get managers from overseas when they say a title they mean a league title a cup title you know they don't just mean the league but i think he did win the league and he delivered it and that song is a good song for him and I know there's times when we're fed up with stuff going on at Anfield, but you know, listening to Coombe and listening to all the other managers that Everton have gone through have gone off to be international managers since he left. Looking at Manchester United and all the Ollie at the Wheel stuff and their latest debacle, and, um, and even looking at other managers who've been successful but just aren't my kind of person, I don't think we could have done better than getting Jurgen Klopp into this club. Yeah, it's like the, the, the saying, he just gets it. He get he just gets he gets the club he gets the city he gets the fans, um and yeah like there was a couple of videos where they go around like on the, the exact date last week when when Klopp had been here eight years um and I think you know if you look back at them videos and you look at look at Jurgen now I think you can you can basically say them eight years have been a roller coaster <laughs> in more ways than one for him but. There's been, as you say, a hell of a lot of highs, um, and you know, he he did say that you know the famous line he'd turn us from doubters to believers, and everyone did. Like we 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 doubted ourselves, and we'd seen you know a lot of a lot of poor players, a lot of poor managers over the like you know the recent history come yeah. through this club and and see things, and they couldn't really ever back it up. You know what I mean? Like you know. He, he, you think of the, the the managers we had, and the, you know the the pointing to successes like you know Roy Hodgson had success in the nineteen eighties or whatever, you know, and pointing to that, and yeah. Rogers pointing to you know his Swansea sort of run the playoffs and whatever, and you know it, it sort of felt like you know oh here we go again. But then you think and you look back and you go actually you know this fella you dragged the Mines team, you know went to the Bundesliga and done well, and then. He, he overthrown that the giants that we've mentioned earlier on in Bayern Munich with, with Dortmund and won the Bundesliga against the odds. Um, and you know, I don't think you know the, the Dortmund have won a Bundesliga since. You know, they come very close last season, but you know they've, they've not won one since Jurgen Klopp's gone. And I, I visited Dortmund a few years ago, and he's literally revered as a god around that city, um, and to, to much the same effect in Liverpool and. You know, it's it's crazy to think that he's been here eight years, but the amount of memories that we've packed in during this time, you know, it kind of thinks so well, you you might even have eight years to sort of you know get them all collated together. He's, he's put that much of a body away um, together during this time. And then I was asked this question the other day, actually, funny enough, in where it was um, by an Evertonian as well about about the Europa League, and um, they're like, oh. You know, he really asked about that cup. Yeah, I was like, well, yeah. I said because it's the only one he hasn't won. He's like, he got to the final in his first season, and when you look at the squad that he got, he dragged that team to the final. And you know, and, and you think of of great nights, even the one against Borussia Dortmund in that competition. Um, you know, we we had no right to to get where we got with some of the players we had, but we did. Um, 
And, you know, in the eight years that's passed, he's won everything else that's been offered to him as a manager of, of, you know, a football team, apart from the Europa League, because we've been competing in the Champions League on a regular basis. But now that we are in this competition, yeah, let, let's go and win it. I think we've said it earlier on, like in previous times, that, you know, it, it it does sort of feel a little bit like the writing could be on the wall for this one in terms of, you know, the finals in Dublin. There's such a large Irish contingent of Liverpool fans out there. And it it kind of feels full circle that, you know, we're, we're branding this as Liverpool 2.0 or whatever. And the first edition of Klopp team in his first, you know, not even full season, got the Europa League final. Let's do it again. Let's go Let's go one more to win it. And then he's literally won everything that he could possibly win. Okay, we'll feel there might be, you know, a couple more trophies, a couple more leagues or Champions League we could have won that time. So be it. And the reasons why people can can debate that for, for time that continues. But this one is here to be won. And if we get ourselves sorted, we actually can win this competition and it would be sweet if if Klopp's labelling this as, you know, the second coming of of a generation of team that he's got at Liverpool, then making it a, a full complete circle and win the Europa League would be a really sweet thing to do in a rethink. Yeah, and it's sort of it's you know there's sort of a bit of like I don't know, poetry maybe is not the right word for it, but um the fact that we kinda fallen a little bit by the wayside to the extent that we're actually playing in the Europa League is you know, if anything, a little marker that says, oh God, look, they, they dropped and this has to be the bit we bounce back from. And I mean, I, I think that competition, if you're in it, you know, it's, it's a big competition still. It doesn't feel so great before Christmas, but after Christmas, you get some big hitters coming out of the Champions League who, you know, just because they've dropped out of the Champions League doesn't mean it's bad. I mean, there's some definite groups of death in every Champions League year. And, you know, there'll be one of the, 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 the unlucky three the only unlucky one out of three great teams in one group that will drop into the UEFA at uh, Europa, um, and that's who you'll play. And I mean, comparing two finals that we lost, we lost in Kiev and we lost in Basel. We lost the Europa League in the in the Swiss place, and we lost in in Ukraine. We lost the Champions League. Afterwards, you don't feel like any less disappointed or any more disappointed. You've you've built yourself up because once you've got to that final. It's a final. It's a trophy. It's massive. You're in some far off foreign land. Um, okay, Dublin's not as far off and foreign, but it's still, you know, a hell of an occasion. And I do hope we get there. And as you say, I think it would be good to see him just um, just tick another one off, get another another new number needed for that wall of champions, wherever we've called it, where we've got all the numbers. There's one outside the ground on the shop as well, isn't there? As well as one at the training ground. Shows you all the times we've won. Be good to get all of those in and. I mean, I don't know, looking back over Klopp's time here, it's easy to pick out the big moments. I mean, my God, just the one that was thinking, jumping out to me was being in Liverpool City Centre the day we did the homecoming from the Champions League. It was just like, I just don't know what... I didn't expect it to be that big. It's hard to explain how big it was, how massive it was. Um, been to so many games where there's been massive crowds and that, but I don't know what the estimates were. I can't remember now, but I mean, it was just a hell of a lot. It was just beyond belief how many people came to celebrate sadly obviously with the um covid couldn't do it then but you know that's that's how it goes isn't it but that that's one of the real highs but then to me there's just been loads of little little smiles all along the way and that's that's what i love most and i think as you said like you know he gets us and he knows what we're like and the stuff he 
I love the way he looks after us. You know, the way... I mean, one one moment is that West Brom game. There's loads of people slagging him off because he went off and, and fist pumped because they don't understand how shit we'd had it and how good, glad he was to see his team fight back and not just give in against the team playing, I don't know, agricultural football. And there's loads of moments like these, um, you know, spattered through his time here. Um, as I say, massive ones, small ones. Just, I'm sure if we sat here long enough, we'd come up with loads of them. Um, anything jumping out at you now as I'm saying this? Um, I think one of the, the funny moments that makes you laugh as well is that the Norwich game, the 5-4, uh, when he broke his glasses, was it Lallana jumped on his back and, and and smashed his glasses and he sort of, you know, it, it was very like, you know, school teacherish, like <laughs> someone had kicked the ball with the school teacher and his glasses had fell off and he was scrambling around trying to look for them. Um, and obviously now we're we're we with the the non glasses yeah yeah again but you know it was one of his features wasn't it when he first signed like he was the the fellow with the specs um, and you know they were shattered to pieces but winning winning it such a topsy turvy game away at Norwich and um, you know we had them mad moments under him you know it was that was what you know was labelled as rock and roll football, wasn't it? Um, you know, we we concede four, but we go and score five. Um, and it was just a mad time to be a fan. Like, you know, there was never a boring game. No. And, you know, I think, I think we've actually said, I think it was a few weeks ago when we played Villa, it was all right to have a boring game and just win 3-0. You know, like, just, just sort of, you know, get through a game nice and easily. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's just... The, there's so many glorious moments. There's so many, like, you know, little things that just make you smile and just think, like, that would never happen under another manager. You know, another one that springs to mind, Jordan, like, the COVID times was the Allison goal, the header. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you know, against, again, West Brom, you mentioned him earlier on, but, you know, you just think, you know, you're not going to get this with many other managers, like, many other teams. This fellow's special. Um, you know, Jose was labelled the special one by himself, but yeah. he was... You know, Klopp's more than special. You know, like we we will we will probably not get him to like him for a long time, and he, his name will rightly be mentioned along. You know, the Paisleys and the Shankleys and the, the Daglishes and Fagans of this world, and you know, to an extent, Rafa Benitez. You know, that this fella has has transformed our club. He, he's lifted us from 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 the doldrums, and he's put us you know back on our pitch. And I don't think there's much more. Anybody in the world of football at this current time could do for us. He's just picked us up, and and yeah, I don't think I can say anything else more about him. No, and I mean, I, I, I another thing is, I don't think he would have expected to stay here this long. I mean, he, um, he, I mean, he's, Germany's his home. That's where he's been. It's where his family's from, and all the rest of it. You know, that's that's him. But he's just come over here and made it his home. He's settled in, and he's fitted right in. Um, you know, and it just says a lot. It's just it's just this relationship goes both ways. Him. With us and us with him, um, I'm just so glad we got him, um, and I'm glad we got him. Considering, again, you know, you take things for granted. We've not had anything like the spending power of the likes of Manchester City or Chelsea or even Manchester United for all the green and gold crying about the different um, problems they're having with money because they just seem to be able to go and find money when they want it. We've not had anything like that kind of spending power. Some of our biggest signings were like done off the back of selling some other player, you know getting money out of Barcelona and quickly getting it spent before they realise what they've done, that kind of thing. Um, you know, he we've, we've had to contend with that and he's managed to get 
the best out of the players he's been given time and time again. I and mean, we've had a bit of a grumble tonight about um, whether we should have had Endo playing and whether we should have McAllister playing in, in the centre mid. But, you know, the thing that, that's going through your mind all the time you're saying this is, well, I'm sure there's a plan. I'm sure there's some long-term idea here because there usually is. There usually is. And that's, you know, we, we, we sort of can't see what's going on. And it's all well and good getting the audio and all the rest of it. Like I said, we could maybe get off the touchline. We're never going to get that. But, you know, we just have to be patient, I think, and and I think we will be. Um, interesting, quick thing as well. Bobby Firmino's bringing out a book, My Liverpool Years. That's coming out soon, probably just in time for Christmas. I'm guessing that's going to be a good read. And I suppose that will tell us a little bit about what Klopp was like as well. And it's almost like it almost feels like a history book now, well and truly, because like it, it's not been gone long, but it feels like it feels like forever since Bobby was here and and that. So, going to be interesting to see what's in that. I'm. Uh, Watch any quick Bobby moment that you remember just to hope it's going to be talked about in the book? I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Oh God! Uh, no, because there's not, there's not one thing you could say <laughs> that singles out. But I think the best thing to, to say about I'm on like a quick memory is the celebrations. Like he, even Sadio, you know, like he, he he scored, he scored big goals and big moments. Bobby, you know, you think like you know goals against Arsenal, goals against City couple of derby goals against United and stuff like that. Like he was a man for a big occasion. Um but he loved his little celebrations. It was like, you know, do you think of the when he got poked in the eye and it was the the hand over the face um sort of thing and you know, his little dances and then you'd have Sadio copying and then the next game you'd be doing something else and there's mm. there's sort of karate kick through the air. It was always a little bit of fun and I think whenever Bobby was on the field, you know, it was it was a fun time. You know, he brought magical moments and, you know, he, he was not one of these Brazilians who, you know, of the 90s and the noughties, who was like, you know, all the step always and all the flair. He just done it so understated. It was just, you know, off the cuff, little touches of magic that just graced the game, um, but, but also won you the game. And, yeah, I think... You know, it, it was sadly it was time for him to go in terms of a player, but I I think he he probably summed up as we said before that the first cycle of Klopp, the first yeah. you know seven seven and three quarter years as it was. You know, he was there throughout the whole duration of that. Um, 
Um, it was probably yeah a fitting end that if we are going to be this rebranded sort of Liverpool team that you know Bobby probably summed up that whole cycle. He won you know pretty much everything at the club and was a pivotal part in it all. You know, key goals along the way, key performances and winning so many trophies. You think, like, as we said before, the Club World Cup. And, you know, he, he got a key goal in that. And he he basically drove us on to, to so many good things that, you know, you, you can't knock that player and what he did for us. No, and I think, um, like you said as well, he wasn't like the Brazilian that sort of gets loads of clips made after him every World Cup and that sort of stuff. You know, all these um, fancy footballers. He, he was... He had his skill. I mean, the no-look goals is one of my favourite things about him, certainly when he used to do them, um, and the celebrations and stuff. But I think the reason he's loved by Liverpool fans so much is wherever your level of skill is, is we've said it time and time again, it's what you put into it on top of that. It's the effort you put in. That, I mean, he was definitely one of the players who fought for that, fought for us in that red shirt. He put that shirt on and he fought for the win um, time and time again. You know, And that, that's why he got the goals. But it wasn't just the goals. It was all the other stuff he was doing. Um, all the defending stuff that you could argue we've kind of missed at times since he's um, since he sort of started playing less and since he left. But that's you know there's so much about it and I'm looking forward to that. But just quickly, we're not we're not going to bother talking about Everton this week. I think we've mentioned him in passing a couple of times, but we'll save that for next time because we've got the derby. Um, it doesn't look like it's going to be a full ground yet. I think Anfield Road still, unless there's some miracles being done in this international break. I think. I think it's going to be uh, going to be done, isn't it? So when we come back next time, let's see. What do you reckon? Fuller House? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, it will be nice, but I think we're going to do our best in terms of trying to, to make sure we can get it to a point it's safe. And yeah, maybe the underbelly won't be, won't be done and, you know, all the shiny sparkles of the new stand uh, won't be ready, but if we can get fans in there seated safely, I think that'll be the the the, the, um, the priority. I don't think the derby is a bit optimistic given it's ten days from now. I think you know you, you're probably looking more towards you know possibly even Brentford like the twelfth of November, like a month from now, um, yeah. as a potential Mike Mark and the Sanders to when we can get it. it. Ideally, we want them for the for the big games in December. Um, you know, the United, the Arsenal, the Newcastle game where. Where they're coming to town, we probably want it done and dusted and and ready to roll as a, as a full sort of stand. Then I think so. Make sure it's done right and done safely because fan safety is more paramount than you know getting it open and making sure that there's just people through the turnstile. Yeah, I agree. And um, well, when you're recording stuff to do with football, and then there's a little bit of a gap before the show goes out, there's always a chance, isn't there, that something's going to happen? There's always going to be a development. It kind of kind of part and parcel of the game, isn't it? And that's happened to us this time because just then we were talking right at the end of the show, did we think the Anfield Road stand was going to be open? Jay had his suspicions and so did I. Um, you know, not much outwardly sign of any progress, if anything. Um, certainly not enough when we last saw it. And, you know, really, realistically, was there enough time while the stadium was out of use for the international break and the away games and so on for us to get it open in time for the derby? Well, it's what? I'm saying this now on Thursday the 12th and the derby's um, what is it? A week on Saturday, so not ten days, whatever. It's not enough, is it, to get it ready? That's what you kind of think straight away. Well, we were right because the club have put an announcement out today. They've done an interview with Billy Hogan. Um, as usual, he only speaks about this to the local, not even to the local media, not even to any media other than the internal media. So he tells 
the internal LFC media what's going on. They ask him the questions, and no doubt there's been some agreement beforehand. Understandably, I'm not mocking anyone for this or knocking anyone for this, but understandably there's going to be some agreement beforehand about what can be asked so that he can get ready with his answers. That's that's fine. I don't I'm not surprised. Um it still gets us the news and at least we've had that. But I can't really give the club a lot of praise over the way they've done this. So in July we got told there was going to be a delay. The stadium upgrade wouldn't be complete in time for the start of the season. So instead it would be done for the for the start of the derby. Fair enough. Okay. Um Misses quite a few games out, but fair enough. You know, might might as well get something done properly than have it rushed and done badly. So yeah, let's wait. So that happened, and then the tickets must have gone on sale at that point because from today's announcement, really these shouldn't have gone on sale at that point. But anyway, um, it wasn't until sort of mid-August that the club got wind that the builders were in trouble financially and that they were possibly going to file for administration. And Billy Hogan told us at the time that they were kind of hands tied at that point. They couldn't kind of bring anyone new in or do anything at all until the builders had actually officially gone into administration, which I think was three weeks later. So at that point then, they went to find a new contract, which they did. And they've also worked hard, and again, fair play to them on this, to try and retain all the existing subcontractors that the previous builders were using. So, you know, I mean, that's good for people who've got jobs and so on that were suddenly a threat because, you know, the big gig that their company had had gone. Well, in 80% of cases, according to Billy Hogan, um, they've managed to rehire those same subcontractors. So, you know, quite a lot of good news has come out of this in, in that sense compared to what it could have been, you know, sort of a bit of good out of bad. Um, and that, I suppose, is, you know, if you're just sort of thinking about priorities and things, at least people aren't losing their jobs as much as maybe would have done. And hopefully there's not too many people affected that way. And, I'm, and I do applaud the club for trying to have that approach to it, you know, thinking about the people as much as anything else. But... What I'm not happy about is, and this is quite a long Q&A um, article on the club's website, um, and there's also a video, which takes a while to get to the the question I think most fans who are directly affected by this are going to be asking. And the question is, what happens to the fans who've bought tickets in the upper tier of the Anfield Road for the upcoming home games? So, you know, Billy Hogan, quite a long bit of apology obviously firstly we're really disappointed to have to deliver this news and really sorry for all those supporters who were impacted you can see the games coming up on the fixture list not just the derby but as you run through it to the end of the calendar year and we know every match at Anfield is important and we know that it means so much to our supporters so what he's getting to is the thing that was mentioned earlier on in this announcement was the work won't be done until next year not next season next year so 2024 so Rest of October, not much going on in October, but all of November, all of December, the Christmas games, all the remaining Europa League group games, and we're away in the League Cup, so there won't be one of those unless we get drawn at home, should we make it through. And obviously the FA Cup doesn't start for Premier League clubs until January. So at the very least, all the games from now until the end of the year are going to be played in the reduced capacity version of Anfield rather than the version we, we all expected to have at the start of the season. Now, that means, according to Billy Hogan, it means ultimately we won't be in a position to be able to provide seats for those fans who have purchased those tickets in the upper tier. Now, that's the, that's the bit that has really taken me aback because we're not talking that, oh, damn, we're sorry that you stand what won't be done but don't worry listen the seats might not be as good or quite what you wanted but don't worry um 
we kept some back and we've got some for you, you know, in sort of slightly obstructed view maybe in, in the corner of one bit of the ground or, you know, maybe higher up than you would have liked in another bit of the ground or wherever, you know, but we've got your seats, we've got them, we saved them. No, they didn't. They put these tickets on sale in July and didn't think for one minute that maybe if they've already been told quite late in the day, let's face it, quite late in the day, that it won't be ready for the beginning, for the middle of August when the when the season kicks off. And it would take until, you know, end of October, it still wouldn't be open. Now, now to me, that says, if you're only going to get a little bit of notice that there's a delay of that long, then you don't put those tickets on sale yet either. You know, you just hold them back. So everyone who wants to go to the game gets, gets the unusual application in and hopefully, hopefully gets to get a ticket for somewhere in the ground and that's what will guarantee that everyone who bought a ticket has one. If, by some miracle, um, the construction project does go well, and let's face it, we've all heard of construction projects that overrun. It seems to be the norm for whatever reason. And I'm not knocking the construction industry. It's just what seems to happen. So if there's any delay, then you don't sell the tickets. Now, it was after the tickets had gone on sale, from what I can gather, that they decided, well, they, they got news of the administration. So... They shouldn't have been on sale anyway because it's not, you know, we've got to sort of separate that. The administration isn't what told us that there might not be any football in front of that new upper tier when we thought there might be. We'd already been told there was a delay and the derby was the next new game that they were aiming for. Are you trying to tell me that they honestly thought they had to sell the tickets back then because they wouldn't sell them if they left it a bit later? We're talking, what, nine, ten days until the game and they've only decided now they can't get the game on. And when you read some of the other stuff in the announcement, we're not talking about, oh, we nearly managed it, but not quite. We're talking about we're not ready for the Everton game or any of the games until 2024. So this isn't a sudden, you know, they've not just had this as a shock. I think they've just had this news kept to themselves and leave it as late as they can to tell anyone. That's what it feels like. Um... And from what I can gather, the delay now isn't even so much to get the work done. Um, it's talking about getting other consultants in. Um, I'm just trying to speed read it again now to find the bit where he talks about it. Um, it's a decision that was made in order for us to give time for ourselves, for, as I mentioned, external consultants, as well as for Rainer Rowan, that's the new construction company, to continue with the assessment of the project and ultimately to finalise the project timeline. So they're only closing it until the end of the calendar year so they can work out how long it's going to take to finish it. Now, that means it might not even be open in January. That's my reading between the lines. And given what's happened so far, I can't think of any other way to read between those lines. Um, Jay's not here at the moment. This is just me sort of thought I'd tag this on the end of the podcast just to sort of give a bit of an update on what's happened since we last spoke. But, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it more when we're next on and I'm sure we'll hear more. I'm sure more stuff will come out. Um, Why did you put the tickets on sale if you weren't sure that that ground was going to be ready? And if you were sure, why were you sure? I mean, I know it's easy to sit here with hindsight, um, but, you know, you could have easily kept those tickets back. You could have put those tickets on sale a month before each game and you'd have sold them. And you knew a month before this game that that wasn't going to be ready. So it's dead easy, isn't it? Um, I really don't believe you wouldn't have sold the tickets. You would not have had any problem selling Derby tickets. You could sell them the day before, probably. Um, 
other games maybe not quite so easy, but you could certainly sell them if you put the prices down a little bit, if you had to. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they have to do test events and all kinds of things before they can open stadiums. It feels like um, it's either complete and utter ineptness from the club not realising what's needed and suddenly getting some reality given to them, or they've known all along and I've just been wondering how best to break the news and, and when best to break it. I suppose there isn't a good time because it's awful news for anyone who had a ticket. And that's basically the upshot. Um, it's not Liverpool's fault that the constructors went into administration. It's not Liverpool's fault that maybe the information they'd had of the previous constructors wasn't entirely accurate. But they knew enough to know there was a risk that that game would not be the first game in, in front of the new tier. So why put them on sale? Why wait this long to do anything about it? Um, if, if you had tickets, all I can say is I hope you manage to get someone else to sort of maybe let you have theirs. There was one consolation mentioned in all of this. Um, as Billy Hogan said, I realise this is a little solace, frankly, but those supporters who've purchased these cancelled tickets won't lose their credit for that purchase. Even though I know it's incredibly frustrating, I'd ask supporters not to reach out directly to fan services. They know that fan services are going to be inundated by people who are fuming about it. You know, they said they're going to get fan services to contact them. Yeah. I mean, I feel sorry for fan services. You know, they're, they're the people sent out to the front to deal with the mess made at the back. It's it's just not good enough. And, you know, there's times when we're critical of this club and maybe we're overcritical and, and you know, times when we sort of get really wound up about things and look for someone to blame. I don't know who's to blame for this. I don't know enough about the internals, internal in, ins and outs of who does what and what role people do and how much people are micromanaged or anything else, but this is not good enough. It's as simple as that. It is just not good enough. Um, there's no there's no excuse for it at all. It just seems to me that unless, unless there's something missing out of that article, and I admit I have read it quite quickly, then it seems obvious to me you don't sell tickets for something that isn't might not happen especially when it's this you know we're not talking about if this was a gig so your favorite comedian your favorite band and they thought well maybe we can't do it in that venue because it won't be open yet or it won't have all the seats yet and they said oh look sorry we can't do the recording we can't do the, the sorry we can't do the act we can't do the show in that venue on that day but don't worry we'll give you your money back and we've got a couple of new dates we're doing instead well the difference there is that it's kind of still the same show isn't it it's that comedian doing that set it's that band doing that set this is not the case with football you know if that derby turns out to be to be the best derby in living memory loads of people didn't get to go and there's nothing that can give them that back we can't do the same derby again and as you know let's not get back into referees again but you know, games don't get replayed. Um, and it's true, this game won't be played again. That's the one and only time to watch it. And I just find it I find it astounding that the club has let this happen. It feels amateurish from this club. And yeah, I, I, I really think it would be good. Maybe, maybe, maybe it would be good if some of the people involved could go into a bit more detail to put our minds at rest to know we're not um we're not gonna face more amateurish decisions on this project before it ends. I want to know that they've got absolute certainty that when they say that stadium is going to be open, that it will. That if they're selling tickets, they don't sell them until they know that that new stand is going to be ready. That is the very least they can do. But I'm not sure what kind of apologies they've got in mind. But, you know, maybe maybe they need to be the sort of apologies that money can't buy. 
you know, maybe there needs to be some sort of special treat given out to the people who've missed out, you know, let them, you know, go to the expense of giving them a few days at the, um, organising a few open days at the training centre, let them meet the players, do something, because that's not good enough. Anyway, as always, thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Jay for being here. And thanks for putting up with me ranting for a little bit longer. But I think it needed to be said. And I'm sure more will be said across Anfield Index. I'm no doubt by myself and Jay when we're back together to record next week before the derby itself. As always, though, as I say, thanks for listening. We will be back soon. Bye for now. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.